Rachel Reeves and other members of Revolution Church are handing out bags of Chick-fil-A sandwiches donated by caring community members. Me, like so many I'm sure right now, have just been feeling really overwhelmed and scared and life is chaotic. So I was just thinking what I could do to help the nurses and doctors. I mean, I know they're so overwhelmed and I thought, what is something that I can do? And it started with the Chick-fil-A points. We started asking just our staff at church and then it kind of ran to just our team members. And then it kind of just expanded from there and blew, blew up on social media because everybody's looking for a way to help right now. So far, they've been able to donate more than 500 sandwiches. Are you surprised by the, the reaction from everyone? Oh, so, so surprised. What a true blessing. I mean, everybody has really shown up and the number is still growing. Were the folks at Chick-fil-A surprised by this too? I mean, it might, have, it might have caught them off off guard a little bit. It did a little bit at first when I paid with all gifted points. But now they're used to it and they're expecting it and they're on board and they love it just as much as we do. They love to help as well. Rachel says the reaction at the hospitals when they handed off the bags to the emergency personnel outside was one of gratitude. And we kind of just handed the sandwiches off to them and said, please send it to your ER, you know, bless them with these sandwiches. And they were so excited. They said they hadn't gotten anything else from anybody else in the community yet. And they were so excited to be appreciated like that. So far, the sandwiches have been sent to Northside Cherokee Hospital in Canton and Piedmont Mountainside in Jasper. Revolution Church really focuses on life on mission, which means helping the community you're in. And we're in two counties, both Jasper and Cherokee. And so we really try to pour into those communities and help wherever we can. Whatever need we can meet, we meet. How cool is that, too? I just loved this story and the way that they're giving back. And I also want to thank Jeremy from Revolution Church for shooting that video for us. And you may have even noticed that on those Chick-fil-A bags, there were some messages written. And those were from Chick-fil-A. That's part of their 10,000 messages campaign. And they say they were really, really happy to be asked to help with this. And if you want to donate some of your reward points, it is very easy to do so. It's just a few clicks on the app, really. One Chick-fil-A sandwich is 500 points. We're going to link you on our website with the exact instructions on how to do that and give you Rachel's email address if you want to send those to her so she can start to get more sandwiches out to some of these medical professionals. Man, isn't that incredible? Uh, what an amazing story of the phrase that we have around here, life on mission. You know, last week we talked about an opportunity that we have in this moment to love our neighbor. And we love our neighbor by living on mission. And, and uh, what I love about that story is that wasn't something that we as a, you know, kind of an organization thought of. That was just one person saying, what can I do? Uh, and having an idea and using Chick-fil-A points. I mean, how incredible is that to then go and bless our hospitals in Cherokee and Pickens County. And I just wanted to show you that. And if you hadn't already seen it on Facebook to highlight it, in fact, that was our local uh, you know, Atlanta Fox affiliate. And then it's now gone onto a national platform on Fox News. Um, so it's just incredible to see what would just start out as an idea really now is having an impact to show that's what it means to live life on mission. And so I wanted you to see that, to just think about maybe in your own life, some opportunities that you have to live on mission, to love your neighbor. Because that's what we've been talking about in Romans. In fact, we talked about last week, specifically just that loving your neighbor. And we're going to continue that conversation this week. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 11 through 14. And I'll just tell you on the front end, when we get into verse uh, 12 and 13, uh, 13 specifically, there is a little bit of a subject matter there. If your kids are watching, you may want to uh, let them do the Rev Kids online. And speaking of that, uh, all that information's on our website. Just go to 
to the top at the Banner Revolution online because we'll continue online services obviously this weekend, next weekend as well. And we'll let you know as we get closer to Easter. But for now, this weekend and next weekend, uh, we'll stay communicating with you. So make sure you're following all of our social media platforms. We have your email. You can even uh, text message. We can get sent out text messages, alerts to you. And, and make sure you're looking on our website and staying informed so that we can stay connected during this time. That's the beauty of technology. We can bring the messages. We can bring the service to you uh, on technology. And so we're so incredibly grateful for all the platforms and all the different ways that we can use to spread the gospel. And so in Romans chapter 13, we're going to continue, like I said, in verses 11 through 14. And again, if you have kids, uh, there's just some subject matter at the end that you may want them to go and, and watch their own thing or do their own thing for a little while. Maybe some conversations that, that you could have with them after this message is over. And so revolution, uh, uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. As normal, we're going to pray before we jump into the message. Uh, so pray with me. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for just the fact that you are God and that you are good and you are literally in control. You're over all uh, of this crisis that is going on in our world, literally, God. And thank you that as we have been talking even through our online devotionals every day through the Psalms that you are in control and that you are so worthy and we're so needy. And these types of moments, these types of seasons in our life remind us of that, that we're not God, that there's so much that we can't control. But God, help us to be reminded by the fact that you are in control. And I pray, God, as we open up your word today, that you would speak to us as always. God, I do believe that you have a word for us today in this, because this word specifically, and God, obviously we had no idea of what was coming, but when we laid these messages out, God, I, honestly, I don't know if I could have picked a better text for us to talk about. And so God, I pray as we open this word today that your Holy Spirit as always would speak to us, would open our eyes, open our ears to hear and to see the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 13, like I said, verses 11 through 14. I'm gonna read 11 and 12, and then we're gonna talk about it, and then we'll continue on from there. Verses 11 and 12, it says this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Now, if you remember last week, if you were watching, what we, he was talking about here in chapter 13, really in response to chapter 12 and chapter 13, and, and really this whole section of Romans, is in response to living in light of the mercy of God living in light of what God has done. And so in chapter 12 and now chapter 13, he's telling us this is how we live in light of God's mercy on our life. And we live as merciful people. We live as people who love our enemies. We submit to the government. Again, this is why we as a church have taken the actions that we have because we want to be good you know, communal citizens. And so he's giving us all these motivations to say, here's how you do these things. Here's why you do these things. And the primary motivation last week to love your neighbor was, was it fulfills the law. And so he said last week that when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're actually fulfilling the law. And we summarized primarily the 10 commandments. The first four have to do with loving the Lord your God. And then the last six have to do with loving your neighbor as ourselves. And so the first motivation he gives us to love our neighbor is he tells us it, it is actually fulfilling the law. Now he gives us a second motivation. 
And the second motivation we have to love our neighbor as ourself is, he says, because you know the time. Now, here's what's interesting. And, and I say this often, but there's different words, you know, in English, a lot of times we just use one word, but in Greek and Hebrew, they'll use different words. And in Greek, there are different words for the word time. Two primary words that the Greek, uh, that in Greek uses for time. One is called chronos, which we get chrono, chronology. Forgive me if I'm trying to say these words correctly. All right, which literally is just a unit of measurement. We just think of minutes. Like it's just how time, you know, stacks day after day after day after day. But then the other word for time is the word keros. And that word is not about the minutes necessarily. It's about the age or the season or the moments. And what's interesting is he says, you know the time. And the word that he uses here is not the time for minutes. It's the time for moments, which is the word keros or keros. And what he's saying is simply this. The motivation to love our neighbor as ourself is the time or the season or the age or the moment that we're currently in. And here's what's so interesting. And in fact, I want to give you this as a point. You might want to write it down and then I'm going to break it down for you. But the Bible motivates, a lot of alliteration here. I'm kind of proud of myself on this one. The Bible motivates us to capture the moments within the minutes God has given us. Let me say that again. The Bible motivates us to capture the moments within the minutes that God gives us. If I was going to use those Greek words, I would say the Bible uh, motivates us to capture the keros within the chronos that God gives us. See, you and I can't determine how many minutes we get in our lifetime. We don't get to make that decision, right? We all know that it's limited. We don't live forever in this life. But what Paul is getting at here is, listen, you need to understand something. You're in a specific moment in time. You're in a specific season. And that should motivate you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what the Bible is getting at here is the motivation that we should have to love our neighbor as ourself is the specific moment that we're in. And here's the challenge for all of us. In fact, I gotta be honest with you. And one of the things that this coronavirus crisis has done for us is it's forced us to step back, right? Because we've been in this shelter in place. We've been in this lockdown season. We can't go anywhere. School's canceled for a while. And we've had to really start to evaluate our lives and, and look at it. It's, it's a time for us to step back and not just run the rat race that so many of us are in. Because when we just run that race, we just day to day to day, minute to minute to minute, then we'll totally miss to capture the moments within those minutes that God has given us. And so what the Bible is getting at here, what Paul is getting at here is saying, listen, you're in a unique moment in time. You're in a unique moment in human history. And let that motivate you to capture this moment. How can I redeem this moment? How can I use this time that God has given me? And let that motivate me to do what is most important. Let that motivate me to live my life in such a way where people would categorize that I am a loving person. And so what you need to understand here in this unique season that we're in, in the literally, not just as a nation, but as a world, we have a unique opportunity to step back and say, man, Am I capturing the moments within the minutes God has given me? And you can apply this to everything. 
In my marriage, am I capturing those moments? As a parent, am I capturing those moments? In my work, am I capturing those moments? And this is one of those things where, especially during this season, where this is not only a health crisis, but it's an economic crisis. And so many of us, and this is one of the things that I'm really honestly concerned about as we move forward, so many people in our community are losing their jobs as well. You want to talk about waking you up to a new reality? Not only if you get sick, but you lose your job. And those days can be some of the hardest, darkest, longest days of our lives. But if we'll let them be an opportunity where we step back and say, okay, was I giving my life to the right job? Was, was, I, was I just living my life in this job because that's what everybody else thought that I should do? And if you can look at it from kind of a God-side perspective and you can see that that may have been the best day of your life. It could have been the best thing in your life to step back and cause you to what Paul says to wake up, to wake up from sleep because of this unique season, this unique moment we're in. Now, when I'm talking about this moment, I'm not just talking about this coronavirus crisis moment. There's a bigger moment that we're in as Christians. In fact, to explain that to you, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it for you. First John chapter two, verse seven and eight, the disciple that Jesus loved. This is John writing, and I want you to see just how similar he sounds to the apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. First John chapter two, verse seven. He says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, the commandment that he's talking about is the same one we looked at last week, love your neighbor as yourself. But look at verse eight. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Next word, huge, because. In fact, everybody online, say it with me. Say, because. He says, it's old, but it's new. Why? Because, look at this, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So, so hear the same motivation that John is using, that Paul was using, saying, listen, this commandment that I've given you, it's really not a new commandment to love one another, but in a sense, it's new. Why? Because the true light is shining and the darkness is passing away. What John is referring to is this moment in time or this season or this keros, this age that we're currently in. And what he's talking about is this age in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Christ's first coming and his second coming. Theologians call this the already not yet tension. And what that means simply is this. When Christ came, he brought the kingdom of God. It's here already. It is here, spiritually speaking, taking back, this is what we talked about back in January, taking back all the people of God that were underneath another spiritual influence. And so the kingdom of God broke in, but it's not yet in the sense that it's not here physically yet. Now we know it's not here physically yet because we still die. We're still frail. Again, that's what makes this season that we're in with this crisis so scary because it's a reality to us like, oh, yeah, I have to be careful. I have to wash my hands. Honestly, do all the things that you should have been doing all the time anyway. 
right? Washing your hands, not high-fiving. You know, maybe we'll just elbow bump from here on out. I don't know what we're gonna do, all right? But the idea of what John is saying here is, is you're in this season now. You're in this age. You're in this moment, this unique moment where the light has come and the darkness is passing away. In fact, Paul and John got their theology from Jesus, which is where we should all get our theology because Jesus talked like this. Again, just as a reference, it's here on the screen, Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this. Now, after John was arrested, that was a different John, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, so the northern part, proclaiming the gospel of God, and listen to verse 15, and saying, the time. The what? The time. Now, that word there, time, is not chronos, it's keros. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, the first age, the, what we would now refer to the Old Testament, he said the time, that age, that season, that period, that moment is fulfilled. We talked about this last week. Jesus fulfilled the law. And now he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe. So Jesus, when he came, he ushered in the kingdom of God. He brought in a new moment. He brought in a new age. He brought in a new kingdom. And this is exactly how Paul talks in chapter 12 when he says, don't be conformed to this present age, this present moment. See, all of us are born into, the Bible says, whatever age that we're in, and that moment is dominated by the world systems. So all of us were born spiritually dead. But when Christ comes into our life, he awakens us. He saves us. He literally, it's like the Bible describes it as we were blind, now we see. And now that we can see, we live in a different age. What that means simply is this. We now can see with spiritual eyes that there is more going on than what we can see. There's more going on than what we can see. Here's why I think this is an incredible, timely message for the church in this literally worldwide pandemic that we find ourselves in. You want to know the greatest danger to the church? The greatest danger to Christians is not crisis. It's comfort. Now listen to me, the greatest danger that we face, it's not crisis, it's not death. Bible says, oh death, where is your sting? Christ beat death. And so for the Christian, the greatest danger isn't death. It isn't crisis. It isn't understand. It isn't, you know, freaking out about the fact that we might die because we understand that. You want to know the greatest danger to the church? It's comfort. It's, follow me, it's living as though there is no other spiritual reality. It's living as though what I can see is all there is. It's living as though I have a 60, 70, 80 years to live, who knows how long, so I'm gonna get everything I can. I'm gonna enjoy it all now. I'm gonna, right, I'm gonna hoard it, whether it's toilet paper or money, doesn't matter, same principle, all right? I'm gonna get it all, I'm gonna enjoy it all because I don't have that long. See, that's the greatest danger. In fact, I would say that's the mantra of this age. And what this crisis can do for us, what this unique moment in time can do for us as the church and as Christians is it can awaken us. 
it can awaken us to the reality that this isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. There is more beyond what we can see. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what John is talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. And they're all saying, use that as a motivation to live life the way God has called us to live it. To live in light of who Jesus is. So again, maybe before this crisis happened, you were rocking along. Everything was good, man. You had a good job. Your kids were going to school, A's and B's, whatever it was. And then bam, all of a sudden, it's like a Mack truck hits you. Your kids are now at home. You got a homeschool. Maybe you did lose your job. And you're sitting in this moment feeling so overwhelmed by everything that's going on. Listen, that's a natural, normal feeling. But what if? What if God is using this moment to awaken his church from sleep? To awaken us out of comfort? Because the primary goal of a Christian is not to get all we can in this life. It's to give all we can. So we've said, it's not to hoard, but it's to share. It's not to hide, but it's to seek. The primary motivation of a Christian is to live life as a blessing, not just live life blessed. And I love how Paul is using this as a motivation. He says, listen, you know the time. You know the moment that we're in. So church, this is our moment. Church, this is our time. And again, if you waste this moment, I think that's the greatest danger. The greatest thing, that, the, or let me say the worst thing that could happen to us is that we go through this and we're not changed. We go through this moment, we go through this crazy time, and yet we come out not a different person. See, the Bible is motivating us to capture the moments within the minutes. What is most important? The Bible would say, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the motivation for that is one, it fulfills the law. Two, you know the time. We're in this unique carols, this unique moment. And so every day we wake up and we fight for those moments. We fight for the moments of how we can love God. Better yet, how we can let God love us. That looks like rest. We receive. And we fight for the moments to not only receive from the Lord, to rest in the Lord, but we fight for the moments to love our neighbor as ourself. Why? Listen to how Paul says this. Because salvation is nearer to you now than the day you first believed. Now, let's talk about this a little bit because the Bible uses the word salvation and it's one word, but they're different tenses. And so it can be very confusing because biblically speaking, now follow me here. Biblically speaking, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Let me say that again. Different tenses. We are saved, which that would be past tense, or we have been saved. We are currently being saved, and we will be saved. What you need to understand is just like Christ's coming, his first coming accomplished one thing, his second coming will accomplish another thing. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in between those is accomplishing a third thing. Here's all I'm getting at. There was a moment in time when you didn't know Jesus. Then when you trusted Jesus, when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, you responded in faith, you were saved. You were, the Bible word for that, or the theological word is you were justified. You were made righteous. 
The word justified, I've said this often, it's just if I'd never sinned. In that moment, Christ took your sin, gave you his righteousness. Now you're a child of God. So you were saved, that was past tense. But we're also present tense being saved. The theological word for that is sanctification. And simply what sanctification means, it means to make holy or to make like Christ. So in one sense, yes, past tense, we were justified. That's a one-time deal. But now through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word of God, through the church, we are being sanctified. We're being made righteous because we still live in this body of flesh. Then one day, either we will die or Christ will come back and we will be saved. And when he returns, he will resurrect a new body just like he was, and we will be like him. We will not be like him in that we will be a God. We will be like him in that we will share in the same resurrected state that he has. So here's what I want you to understand. For the Christian, the reason why in these moments we don't get as freaked out as everybody else The reason why in these moments, it's our time to shine and love our neighbor as ourself and use our Chick-fil-A points to buy Chick-fil-A sandwiches is because salvation is nearer than when we first were, than we, when we first believed. So, so when I'm talking about salvation is nearer, again, I'm not saying future, we will be saved in that we will be justified. That's already happened, but it's nearer in the sense that we are nearer to Christ returning we are nearer to being finally and fully saved. So this makes the Christian not hateful, not fearful, but hopeful. And here's what you need to see. One of the primary reasons why we are not loving people is because we are not hopeful people. But when you understand who God is, When you understand that he has saved you, he is saving you, he will save you, you have nothing to fear. You're hopeful. Because don't you know that if you don't have very much hope, then you're not very loving? In fact, the moment that hope dies, everything dies. And what Paul's getting at here is, listen, awake to the reality. You know the time, the keros, the moment that we're in. You are now nearer to Jesus. You're nearer to seeing Jesus. And he's not getting into end times here necessarily. And again, we could do a whole series on that, probably will at some point in time, because there's all different kind of variations about what the end time is going to look at, look like. And honestly, all of us need to approach that with humility. If someone tells you they know exactly what's going to happen, walk away. All right. There is some speculation depending upon what camp you're in, but here's the one thing we should all agree on. He is coming back. And what's going to happen? I don't know. People are like, is this the sign of the end of the times? Earthquakes, floods, you know, viruses, maybe a third of the earth wiped out like the book of Revelation says. Is this a sign? Maybe. But here's what I do know. The world's going to end. And I don't say, please, I don't say that cheerfully, even though I am laughing or smiling here. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter all the details as much. What matters is we are hopeful, no matter how it goes down, because Christ will save us. We are nearer to that day, and not because the the eschatology, we're just nearer because we're one day closer. And this is, again, if you want another pair, I just didn't have time to throw all these verses in here, but if you want another corresponding verse to this, go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
at the church at Thessalonica, one of the complaints that people had about Christians is Jesus hadn't returned yet. It had been like 30, 40 years and Jesus hadn't come back yet. And all these Christians are like, hey, we need a love because Christ is gonna come back. They literally thought he was gonna come back in their lifetime, which I, should, I think every generation think, should think that Christ is gonna come back in their lifetime. And so all these people started making fun of Christians like, where's your Christ? Where's your Christ? He's not coming. Some said he's already come. And Paul's motivating the Thessalonians saying, listen, don't listen to all that. You stay focused on what God's calling you to do because honestly, it doesn't matter when he comes. What matters is love your neighbor as yourself. He says, stay motivated. And then he says this, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. So it's been 2000 years since Christ first came. But in God's sense, it's been two days. So when God says, wait a second, you might be waiting some years, right? But, but here's, in this time, people are gonna talk bad about Christians. People are gonna make fun of Christians because of the hope that we have, because of the faith that we have. But this is our moment to say, listen, it doesn't matter if you agree with me or not. Even if you're my enemy, I'm gonna love you as though you were myself. Why? Because I'm motivated to fulfill the law and I'm motivated to not miss my moment. This is my moment. Church, I don't know how long I have. You don't know how long you have, but here's what I know. I don't want to go get to the end and miss my moment. I, want to, I don't want to get to the end and then miss all the moments that I could have captured within the minutes that God gave me. That's what Paul's getting at here. So then he gives us two things, and we got to wrap this up quickly. Two things that he gives us in 12 through 14. Let's look at it. He says, so then... Let us cast off the works of darkness. So then, again, we know the moment, the time. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Here's the part that I was referring to earlier. So if kids are in the room, you may not want to have this conversation with them. I'm just warning you. Not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So two things he says here. He says, first, cast off. Cast off the works of darkness. L listen to how he categorizes that. Darkness, nighttime, even goes on to say elsewhere that people sin in the dark. This is why, you know, anytime it's nighttime, there's more quote unquote sinning that goes on because it's under the cover of darkness and we think, oh, nobody's watching us. But the Bible says that darkness is its day to the Lord. But there's this motivation from a worldly sense that, oh, I can get away with things in the dark. But what Paul is saying to the Christian is, listen, you, you cast that off. The idea of this casting off is like either like taking off clothes or throwing out the trash. He said, man, cast that off. Throw that off. Why? Because this is your moment. This is what you were made for. I mean, Jesus could return at any Second, and this is the part that really motivates me not to sin more than anything else. When Jesus returns, I don't want to be in the middle of an act of sin. Now, again, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with sin. I have flesh. But, but hopefully in my life, the longer I'm walking with Jesus, hopefully I'm becoming more loving. And, I, and the, the deeds of darkness in my life are decreasing because the deeds of light in my, my life are increasing. And so Paul is saying here, listen, cast that off, man. And then he says, put on, put on the armor of light. Now this is battle language, the armor. 
And we talked about this again earlier in the year. If you were here, if you weren't, you can go back and listen to those messages in the Abide series. But we talked about in Ephesians chapter six, putting on the armor of God. We gotta put on the armor every day. Here's what we have every morning when we wake up. We have to say, thank God I have another minute. I've got more minutes today. So I'm gonna capture the moments within these minutes. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna throw off the things that my flesh wants to do. I'm gonna throw off the things that I know don't honor God. And I'm gonna put on my armor, the armor of light. And I'm gonna walk. I love how he says this. And let us walk in a manner, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Now that phrase there, let us walk properly, is an adverb. The, the idea is in an adverb, the adverb shows a manner in which the action or the verb is done. So here's what I want you to see. In fact, I have this as my point. The manner in which we walk matters. The manner in which we walk matters. You know, I talk about my pastoral pet peeves all the time, Old Testament, New Testament, that kind of stuff. But one of my biggest pet peeves is when I hear people say, well, it's my body, I can do what I want. It's, my, it's not hurting anybody. That's the argument that the world makes. What is it to you if I do this or I do that? Listen, here's what it is. That's the ultimate selfishness is to live my life and think that I can do what I want and fail to realize that it does affect other people. Think about it like this. Every action you take affects somebody. Every action you take affects somebody. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, the manner in which you walk, it matters. It matters. And this is why, again, Christian, please hear me. Don't think, and we'll get into this next week in chapter 14 and chapter 15. Don't think because now you're free in Christ, you can do whatever you want. No, Christ didn't save you just to let you go back to your old life and do what you want. You have a new master, you have a new Lord, you have a new authority. And now what happens, the shift that happened in your life is you live for others. You love others as though they are yourself. And again, Paul's gonna get into this in chapter 14 says, listen, it matters what you eat, it matters what you drink, it matters how you act, it matters how you live. The manner in which we walk matters. Those are two points of alliteration, man. Come on, all M's. The manner in which we walk, it matters. And the selfish person says, I can do what I want. It's my body. But the Christ-filled, the spirit-filled person says, no, I'm not gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna do what's best for my neighbor. I'm gonna love my neighbor. Why? Because that's what Christ did. In fact, look at verse 14. I love how he wraps this up. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So to put on the armor of light means to put on the Lord Jesus. Now, let me give you another alliteration. This made a lot of sense to me. Jesus, not only is our savior, he's our example. So when we put on Jesus, we're putting on the pattern. We're putting on the pattern that Jesus lived. You know, when I was a teenager, there was this bracelet that went around and now it's come back. It was popular for a while. I'm not sure it is. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And the whole idea was do whatever Jesus did. And that is such a good idea to think about because again, Jesus is not only our savior, 
Jesus is our example. He didn't just come to save us. He came to show us how it's to be done. He lived perfect. He lived sinless. And so if we're going to put on Jesus, then we're going to put on Jesus's patterns. And so it'd be a great idea, maybe during this moment that you have, during these minutes that you have, to look at Jesus and say, what was his pattern? I'll give you three basic directions. And I didn't come up with this, but it's so helpful because it's so simple. Jesus had a pattern of looking up. The Bible says early in the morning, he would go to be alone with his father. So he had a pattern of connecting with God. He had a pattern of looking up. This is the Psalms of Ascent. We talked about that this week in the devotionals. Looking up to, to my help. So Jesus constantly was looking up. And then when he would come down off the mountain, he would look in, not into himself, but into his, we, we could call this the church, his disciples. And he was loving those that were now a part of his family. And so he was loving them. He was discipling them. And so another pattern that Jesus had is he didn't just live his life, like spending time with the Lord, yes, but he was imparting to people what he was learning, what, what the connection that he had with his father, he was, we would say this, multiplying that. He was apprenticing people into his pattern. And so one of the biggest purposes we have in our life is, again, not just to look up to receive, but it is to pattern, to set a pattern. And the primary people that we disciple are our kids. And then those within the church. And this is why we talk about multiplying and apprenticing, all the things we talk about here. And then the last one was he had an outward focus. Not only did he have an upward focus, an inward focus, but he had an outward focus. One of the titles that I love that people gave to Jesus is he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Jesus wasn't afraid of being guilty by association. And again, this is what we were talking about last week. So, so many times Christians in an effort to be holy separate themselves from the world. Jesus didn't do that. So if we're gonna put on Jesus, we're gonna put on the pattern. We're gonna put on the pattern that Jesus had. We're gonna reach up, we're gonna connect with God. We're gonna reach in, connect with the church, right? Disciple other people, and then we're gonna reach out. And this is the moment, church, that we have to do that. What a great gift if we can see it like that, that God has given us to wake up, to wake up to the reality that there is more going on. Is this scary? Yeah, it's scary. We may lose our jobs. We, we may get sick. We may lose our health. We may lose our lives. But that has never stopped Christians from putting on Christ. That has never stopped Christians from loving their neighbor as themselves. And so church, use this as an opportunity to motivate you to put on the pattern of Jesus, to put on Christ, to live with different eyes and capture the moments within the minutes that God has given us. And there may be some of you here today that you've never put on Christ, you've never trusted Christ, you've never been saved. Well, that's your first step. And then there's some of us here today that we have done that. But if we were honest, man, we just got lulled into comfort. We just got lulled into other urgent things that weren't that important. Well, the same message is true. The kingdom of God's at hand, repent and believe. We don't ever stop doing that. So maybe today 
It's just a recalibration of saying, God, help me capture these moments within these minutes you've given me. Help me to live in a manner that is worthy, that is proper, because it matters. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for loving us. That you sent Christ. He stepped into time. He didn't just put on flesh, but he stepped into time. He stepped into minutes and months and years. He stepped into our world. But when he did that, he ushered in a new moment. He ushered in a new season, a new age. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so God, I pray that we would awaken to that fact. We would awaken to the reality that there is more going on than what we can see. And yes, we need to submit to the government. Yes, we need to practice all the safe things. God, yes, we don't need to act like those things don't matter. That's just foolishness. Yes, we need to do that. But God, we don't need to do it in such a way where we use it as an excuse to not love our neighbor as ourselves. And there may be someone listening or watching today, God, that has never understood that Christ loved them as though they were his neighbor. He loved them by laying down his life for them. And so God, I pray that you would awaken their eyes right now to this moment that there is more than they can see and they'll trust Christ and they will be saved. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Christ, there's never been a point in time in your life where you put on Christ, where he interrupted your life, he opened your eyes and you've responded in faith. Well, today can be that moment where you wake up for the first time. So if that's you, if you wanna trust Christ, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but you can if you want to. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I receive Christ. Forgive me. Save me. I give you my life. Thank you so much for loving me. Now, if you just prayed that with me, we want to know, man. We want to celebrate. We've had people trust Christ even over these last couple weeks through technology. It's incredible. And so we want to know that. But then those of us who have already trusted Christ, again, we talk about this every weekend. But man, we are in a unique moment in human history. Don't miss the moment. Allow God to awaken you to what really matters. And what really matters is not just this virus or this season that we're in, because it will pass. What really matters is capturing the moments within the minutes and living our life in such a manner that Peter says in 1 Peter 2, that it glorifies God. Peter talks the same way that Paul does, that John does. He says, let your actions, let your life be honorable among the Gentiles, among those who don't know God, so that when they see your good works, they will glorify God. We don't just give Chick-fil-A because it's nice. We give Chick-fil-A because it provides an opportunity to share Christ. So church, don't miss the moment, man. What unique ways might God call you to live on mission and love your neighbor as yourself? Let's lean into those moments. I can't wait to hear more and more stories like that. Father, thank you. 
thank you that even in these crazy moments, we know that you're God and that you are on your throne. And I pray that you would use this as a moment to awaken your church all over the world, that there is a reality, God. Help us not to get lulled into comfort. Help us not get, get confused by what really matters, God, but let us stay focused and capture these moments. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.